We're turning our Bibles now to the first book of the Bible, the book of Genesis, chapter 39. Not directly a harvest passage, uh, but when we come to this passage later on, we'll bring some indirect references from the life of Joseph. Joseph chapter 30, uh, Genesis chapter 39, uh, reading the account of Joseph, um, a slave in Egypt. Genesis 39, this is God's word. Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard, an Egyptian, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him down there. The Lord was with Joseph, and he was a successful man, and he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. And his master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord made all he did to prosper in his hand. So Joseph found favour in his sight and served him. Then he made him overseer of his house, and all that he had he put under his authority. So it was from the time that he had made him overseer of his house, and all that he had, that the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. And the blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in the house and in the field. Thus he left all that he had in Joseph's hand, and he did not know what he had except for the bread which he ate. Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance, and it came to pass after these things that his master's wife cast longing eyes on Joseph, and she said, Lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, Look, my master does not know, uh, does not know what is with me in the house, and he has committed all that he has to my hand. There is no one greater in this house than I, nor has he kept back anything from me but you, because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? So it was, as she spoke to Joseph day by day, he did not heed her to lie with her or to be with her. But it happened about this time when Joseph went into the house to do his work, and none of the men of the house was inside. She caught him by his garment, saying, Lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and ran outside. And so it was when she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and fled outside. She called to the men of her house and spoke to them saying, See, he has brought into us a Hebrew to mock us. He came into me to lie with me and I cried out with a loud voice. And it happened when he heard that I lifted my voice and cried out that he left his garment with me and fled and went outside. So she kept his garment with her until his master came home. And then she spoke to him with words like these, saying, The Hebrew servant whom you brought to us came into me to mock me. So it happened as I lifted my voice and cried out, that he left his garment with me and fled outside. So it was when his master heard the words which his wife spoke to him, saying, Your servant did to me after this manner, that his anger was aroused. Then Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, a place where the king's prisoners were confined. And he was there in the prison. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him mercy, and he gave him favour in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison committed to Joseph's hand all the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever they did there, it was his doing. The keeper of the prison did not look into anything that was under Joseph's authority, because the Lord was with him, and whatever he did, the Lord made it to prosper. May God bless his word to us. Amen. Well, turning then in our Bibles to the passage we read in Genesis chapter 39. This evening I'd like us to um, look at this, uh, the life of this man Joseph and in particular in this chapter here, chapter 39, and we'll see how 
the, the life of Joseph points to Christ, points to our Saviour. The account of the life of Joseph is of course very well known, very well loved, and oft taught in Sunday schools, the, the boy who went from pit to palace, and rags to riches, how the Lord used him in a, a wonderful way, in many different ways, um, throughout his time as a leader there in Egypt, how the um, the life of Joseph led to the children of Israel being in Egypt, which of course uh, was then a picture of redemption as they were led uh, ex- uh, Exodus out of Egypt into the promised uh, land. These events here that we read in Genesis chapter 39, these are, these are true. This is not a fable, this is not a tale, this is not a story, this is historical truth. Joseph existed, Genesis is a trustworthy book. It might seem strange to, to say that, but it's important that we say that because there are those who profess to be believers who would question the authenticity of Genesis. But how, if we get to the first book of the Bible, can we proceed through the other 65 books of the Bible if we're questioning the authenticity? No, as Bible believers here, we stand that Genesis is a true book, can be relied upon, can be believed. In this chapter, in this life of this one, Joseph, we see much of our Saviour. We see much of the Lord Jesus Christ. And indeed, beginning in Genesis, in chapter 3, verse 15, where the first prophecy of the Messiah is revealed, the Lord begins to reveal his plan of salvation through pictures and through signs. And as we get through to the prophets, the, um, the coming Messiah is more explicit But as we now, as gospel age believers, can see the whole of the Bible, we see how it is woven so clearly together, how even through the lives of men like Joseph, we see pictures of our Saviour. It begins, as I've said, right at the start of the Bible. In Genesis chapter 4, we read of um, Cain and Abel. And we see, even in that chapter there, how the shedding of blood is required for the remission of sin. The Lord reveals something there of salvation to us. When we read of Noah, we see the judgment of the world and we see how there is safety in the ark. uh, How there was non-righteous but Noah and he was saved with his family. Again, a picture of salvation. As we come through uh, to Abraham, we see um, the account with Isaac. How the Lord himself provided a lamb, provided a ram, a sacrifice. Here, We see Joseph, the life of Joseph. As we go through into Exodus, we see the pictures, the the Ark of the Covenant, the mercy seat, the blood that was sprinkled, the sacrificial system. The Lord begins bit by bit to reveal his plan of salvation. And indeed, we see it here also this evening. Whenever we read God's word, we should look for the Lord Jesus. We should look for our Saviour. It's my job as a preacher to point to Christ in every sermon in every passage that we read he is here on every page when we turn to our Bibles when we read day after day we should not be satisfied until we have seen the Lord Jesus until we have seen his salvation until we have seen the grace and mercy that he bestows upon us we should look up look unto the author and finisher of our faith Jesus and his work of redemption Or on every page of scripture, don't rest until you've seen it, until you've found it. In Genesis here, 
In chapter 39, Joseph has been taken down into Egypt. We know the account, don't we, well of Joseph and his brothers. And his dreams, and he dreams of the stars and the moon. He dreams of the wheat, and the sheaves of wheat in the field. And they're bowing down to him, Joseph. And he tells his brothers, and as you can imagine, his brothers don't take too kindly to those dreams. And they resent him, they hate him. And they sell him down there into, into Egypt. He's taken um, by the Ishmaelites, take him down into Egypt. And there, when he's in Egypt, in the providence of God, he doesn't end up a, a beggar on the streets of Cairo or some other city. Instead, he's sold as a slave into the house of Potiphar. And this is something that we see, isn't it, throughout the life of Joseph, the providence of God working. Joseph acknowledges it himself. What you intended for evil, he says to his brothers, God intended for good. And we see it throughout the life of Joseph, how the Lord worked and used Joseph for his purposes. We remember that Joseph was taken into the prison at the end of this chapter. And it was there in the prison that he was able to interpret the dreams of the butler and the baker. He was taken into Pharaoh's palace. He was made the second in command, effectively, of Egypt. And he, it was Joseph that was used as a means of provision for the Lord's people when there was famine. We've praised the Lord, haven't we, for his goodness this evening in giving us such abundant abundance. Well, as we know, in Egypt there was a time of famine. There were seven years of famine and Joseph, in his wisdom, stored up the grain. He was able to provide even for his brothers, for his father. And it was, of course, the means that um, Jacob and his family would go down into Egypt. And there the people of Israel would grow and ultimately be brought out. Again, a picture, as I've said, of salvation. The Lord's hand was upon the life of, life of Joseph. He was working his purposes out. And we should pause there. Um, I want to say that sometimes we, we do not understand why certain things happen. We do not understand why things happen as they do in our lives, in, our, in the life of our church. It's quite often not till many years later that we see the hand of God working. And those of us who have been Christians this evening, I'm sure you'd agree with me, for, for many years. Those who have been Christians for many years, I'm sure you'd agree that um, we see God's hand uh, through our lives. We see how he has been working his purposes out, even though perhaps we didn't realise it at the time. Maybe many years later, we see the Lord's goodness. He is working his purposes out, the providence of God. God working for our good. These are Bible truths, these are comforts for the believer. That God works out these for our eternal good. It's quite remarkable, isn't it, the book of the Bible. There's nothing like it. There's no, not a work of man, not a human author. It's the work of, of God, God's own word. And it is entirely consistent. Uh, when we see the Lord Jesus here in Genesis, it is perfectly woven into the whole of the Bible. What a wonderful uh, book it is. Well, this evening we have four pictures for us here in the life of, life of Joseph that point us to our Saviour. We see parallels, we see a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, they each begin with an S. We've got four. They each begin with an S. Firstly, we have Joseph the servant. The servitude. The servant. Verses 1 to 6 record for us that Joseph was taken down into Egypt. And there the Lord was with him. He was a successful man, we read in verse 2. He was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. His master saw that the Lord was with him. 
The Lord made all that he did to prosper in his hand. And so Joseph found favour in his sight and served him. Then he made him overseer of his house and all that he had he put under his authority. So it was from the time that he had made him overseer of his house and all that he had. that the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. Verse 6, thus he left all that he had in Joseph's hand and he did not know what he had except for the bread which he ate. Joseph was put hard to work. Perhaps at first he proved himself in the more difficult tasks, perhaps maybe the more laborious tasks, the the dirty tasks in the house, perhaps (coughs) tasks in the field. And as Joseph proved himself, as the Lord was with him, as the Lord blessed Joseph, he was trusted with everything that was in Potiphar's house. Um, We read there, didn't we? There was uh, nothing that was not under his authority. Everything was under his authority. The Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake, we read. Or we read in verse um, 5. Joseph had complete and total authority in Potiphar's house. He was a servant. He served Potiphar. We think, don't we, of our Saviour being a servant. Our Saviour came not to minister, but to be, um, not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. It's a wonderful theme, isn't it? It's a wonderful topic, the servanthood of the Lord Jesus Christ. We think of our Saviour as a prophet, priest and king. And those are important offices, aren't they, of the Lord Jesus? But we should also ponder his servant nature that he came to to minister to others to give his life a ransom for many the Lord Jesus the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords the creator of the world came and left the glories and splendour of heaven to be a servant to be humble to be lowly to be meek and to be mild he humbled himself to go to the cross of Calvary to pay the debt of our sin. Philippians chapter 2 is one of the most famous verses on this topic, isn't it? Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. The Lord Jesus didn't come to palaces. He came to a stable, laid in a manger, the most humble of beginnings, the most humble of uh, backgrounds, his parents poor. We remember when they took him to the temple uh, to be um, circumcised, to be blessed, and to be named. Uh, they couldn't af- uh, take uh, a lamb. They took two turtle doves. Uh, they couldn't take a lamb. They were poor. Uh, Joseph was a carpenter in Nazareth. Can anything good out- come out of Nazareth? The people remarked, didn't they? The Lord Jesus came in such humility. He came to serve. He did serve in the menial tasks. He was a carpenter himself, wasn't he? He helped his father in the carpenter's shop. He washed his disciples' feet. He um, did many tasks that are uh, lowly and um, perhaps not uh, praiseworthy, we might think. Uh, But the greater work was that work at the cross, wasn't it? He came to give his life a ransom for many. The Father sent the Son to be the saviour of the world. He came to pay the penalty for your sin, for my sin, if we are to trust him. The servant then is the first thing that we see here in the life of Joseph that chimes with the life of our Saviour. 
Secondly, we see that God blessed the work that um, Joseph did. It was well-pleasing to God. We could say satisfaction here. Satisfaction. And equally we can say that the work of Christ satisfied the Father. The wrath of God. It was the propitiation for our sin. Satisfied the wrath of God. We've read many times there in verses 2 to 6 how the Lord was with Joseph. The Lord wasn't just with Joseph here in the start of chapter 39 in Potiphar's house. At the end of the chapter in the prison, the Lord was with Joseph there. Read in verse 20 to 23. Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, place where they were confined. And he was there in the prison, but the Lord was with Joseph, showed him mercy. He gave him favour in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And then at the end of this chapter, verse 23, the Lord was with him. Whatever he did, the Lord made it to prosper. We we challenge ourselves, don't we? We ask ourselves, is the Lord with us? Is the Lord with you this evening? Are you the Lord's? Is he yours? Is his spirit within you? Could it be said if a biography was written of your life, the Lord was with Mr. Smith, Mrs. Smith, whatever your name might be. There's a challenge there. Joseph honoured the Lord in his service. And the Lord blessed Joseph. He was with him. And here we see a Bible truth, a Bible principle. That if we honour the Lord, he will honour us. We see this truth in Hannah's life. 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 30. Hannah Desperate for a child, a barren lady, desperate for a child. She prays, doesn't she? She commits a child unto the Lord, if the Lord would give her a child. And we read there, that for them that honour me, I will honour. They that despise me shall be lightly esteemed. We reap what we sow, to use a harvest terminology. We reap what we sow is a Bible truth. We see some lessons here for the Christian at work. For a Christian in a hard place, Joseph was in a sinless, in a sinful place. He was in a sinner's house. The Egyptians are well known for their false gods, aren't they? They worship the sun and all manner of different things. Joseph was in a hard place and yet he served the Lord. There's lessons for us here. There are many hard places that Christians find themselves in in today's world. Christians that, are, that work in schools find themselves in a hard place. Where there are godless ideologies being propagated. Christians in the military find themselves in a godless place. Christians in the hospital, in the factory, in the office. We find ourselves in godless places day by day. And so what do we learn from the life of Joseph? He was diligent. He worked hard for the Lord. He he did everything as unto the Lord. He served the Lord with all that he did. We may not be the scientist with the greatest scientific knowledge. We might not be the surgeon who can perform the most intricate of surgeries. We might not be the the driving instructor with the, the best pass rates in the district. But we can be the most punctual. We can be the most honest. We can be the most reliable. These are some of the lessons that we see through the life here of Joseph. We We must not cut corners as employees. We must not be... Half-hearted. Can your colleagues tell that there is a Christian in their midst? There was none like Joseph in the house here of Potiphar. He could trust everything that he had unto Joseph. Can 
your employer tell that there's a Christian in their workforce? They should be able to. This isn't a wealth and health and prosperity gospel. We're not saying here that if we are the most diligent, the most hardworking, the most reliable, that we will rise to become essentially prime minister of the country. We're not saying that here. The Lord may well bless in that way and give you great authority, give you great status and position. But quite often the Lord knows that his people are, can be puffed up with pride also if we reach such positions. And so what we're not saying here is a guarantee of a success. But what we're saying here is that if we honour the Lord, we will not lose out. That the Lord will bless us. That the Lord will work out his purposes in us. Them that honour him, he will honour. What we sow, we will uh, reap. Joseph's work, it pleased his master. He was promoted. And here we see that parallel again then. That the Lord Jesus' work pleased the Father. The Father was well pleased with the work that the Son came to do. Jesus, as a 12 year old boy in the temple, he said, didn't he? Wished ye not that I must be about my Father's business? He came to do the Father's work. He came to do his Father's bidding. In John chapter 8, verse 29, Jesus said, He that sent me is with me. The Father hath not left me alone, for I do always those things that please him. The Lord Jesus did those things that pleased God the Father. What was that work? We've already mentioned it, haven't we? The work of redemption. The work at the cross of Calvary. The proclamation of the gospel and his obedience unto death. Even the death of the cross. We remember on the cross how the Father forsook the Son. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And that was the most... A difficult part of the cross, the hardest part of the cross for our Saviour, to be forsaken of the Father. But that it was that work at the cross that satisfied the Father, that satisfied the wrath of God, the just wrath for sin was satisfied by the Saviour at the cross. Sin is an offence to God, it is a heinous offence to God. He who is perfect and holy, even the smallest of sins we might say, is an offence to God. And so there must be punishment. There must be for justice to occur. There must be punishment. And there on the cross of Calvary. Justice was satisfied. The wrath of God was satisfied. At Jesus' baptism. Remember the dove which alighted upon him. And that voice from heaven which declared. This is my beloved son. In whom I am well pleased. And again at the transfiguration. We read there that a, a behold a bright cloud overshadowed them. And behold a voice out of the cloud which said this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. The work of Christ satisfied God the Father. If we to draw out here from the work of Christ a harvest, a picture. We remember don't we that there will be a harvest of souls. We sung about it in our last hymn. There will one day be a harvest of souls, a judgment day. And there those who have been saved, who have trusted in that work of Christ, which we've been mentioning, they will be separated from the chaff, the wheat from the chaff. Even before the Lord Jesus began his earthly ministry, John the Baptist was, was teaching that very truth. Matthew chapter 3, the end of that chapter there, uh, there verse 12, we, uh, we come to the baptism of Christ. 
And verse 11, I indeed baptise you with water unto repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptise you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fan is in his hand. He will thoroughly clean out his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn. But he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. We sung, didn't we, of the... The thorns, the weeds, the chaff. And the Lord will will sift the wheat into his barn and the chaff will be burnt up in the unquenchable fire. This is a, a fearful gospel truth. Do we believe it? Do we preach it? Do we warn people of the judgment to come? Those who have not trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ's work at the cross of Calvary are as chaff who will be burned up, useless. Not worthy of anything but those who have trusted in that work. The work that satisfied the wrath of God. Those whose sins have been forgiven. We will enter into eternal life. We are as wheat. We are fruitful. We are useful for the master's work. We will be brought into the barn, into heaven. And we will be safe and secure. The work of Christ satisfied the wrath of God for sin. We read in... Isaiah chapter 53, a strange truth about this. We read there in Isaiah 53, Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. It pleased the Lord to bruise him. It's a mystery, isn't it, to us? The working of the Godhead, Father, Son and Spirit. Great is the mystery of godliness, Paul says. It pleased the Lord to bruise him. It satisfied the wrath of God for sin. That we might be saved. That glory would be given unto God. In the salvation of sinners. The third picture then that we see here. Is Joseph resisting temptation. We could say standing firm. Or staying strong. Here in the house of Potiphar. Joseph faces temptation. We read in verse 6. That Joseph was handsome. In form and appearance. It's not often in scripture that we read about the physical attributes of, um, of men and women. But here we read of Joseph. He was handsome. In form and appearance. Um, but Joseph's beauty wasn't a, a snare to him. He didn't boast about it. He wasn't boastful. He wasn't puffed up. But we must beware of pride. We must beware of boasting. Perhaps we've been given some skill or talent in something or other. Perhaps we have exceptional athleticism. Perhaps we have exceptional intelligence. Perhaps we have exceptional beauty. These are God's gifts. We must not boast in them. Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. And Potiphar's wife cast her eyes lustily after him. She lusted for him. Potiphar's wife in verse 7 we read. She cast longing eyes on Joseph. And she said, lie with me. She had sinned. She had sinned wickedly. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, doesn't he? Whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her in his heart. She had looked upon Joseph and lusted. She had committed adultery in her heart. God knows our thoughts. He knew the thoughts of Potiphar's wife here. She had sinned. This kind of sin... 
is such a serious sin. It ruins homes, it ruins children's lives, it ruins marriages, it destroys uh, churches. And like in Sodom and Gomorrah, this kind of sin is advocated in our society, sadly. And we must warn against it. It is an offence to God. And she desires him. In Matthew chapter 5, the, the reading goes on to say, If thy right eye offend thee, pluck it out, cast it from thee, for it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish, not that thy whole body should be cast into hell. We must take drastic action to this kind of sin. The eye must be plucked out, as it were. Figuratively speaking, we must take drastic action to rid ourselves of sin, of every kind of sin. Sin is an offence to God. That drastic action might involve cutting off a friendship or an acquaintance. It might involve walking away from a relationship that we may have had for many years. If that individual leads us into sin... He that walks with wise men shall be wise, but a companion of fools shall be destroyed. Sin requires drastic action. Lust often leads to other sins, to lying, to murder in the case of David and Uriah the Hittite. Jealousy, hatred, deception. We must so be careful of this sin of lust. James chapter 1, but every man is tempted. When he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed, then when lust hath conceived, it brings forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, brings forth death. Do not err, my beloved brethren. Well, does, do, does Joseph uh, yield to temptation? No, he doesn't, does he? He is able to resist. He says to his master's wife in verse 8, Look, my master does not know what is with me in the house. He has committed all that he has to my hand. There is no one greater in this house than I, nor has he kept back anything from me but you, because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Joseph recognises, doesn't he, that to sin in this way would be to sin against his master, but also to sin against God. Sin is fundamentally against God. We may let down our brothers, our sisters, our parents, our children, our fellow members at a church, but sin is ultimately against God and Joseph recognises this David recognises the same in Psalm 51 against thee thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight all sin is fundamentally against God it is he who that we should repent unto we see here how Joseph resisted temptation and that reminds us doesn't it of how our saviour resisted temptation our saviour could satisfy the wrath of God because he is a perfect saviour. He never fell to sin. He never fell to temptation. He is a perfect saviour. He is a divine man. The God man. He could resist temptation. He resisted it throughout his life. None more so perhaps when the devil tempted him in the wilderness. Three times and yet he resisted. The only human ever to live. And to be able to resist temptation completely and wholly. All of the time. Fully. 100%. How did Jesus resist that temptation? He quoted the words of scripture, doesn't he? Hath not God said that man shall not live on bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God, you shall worship the Lord your God only. He resists the devil with the sword of the spirit. We have a sword as we face temptation. Day after day we have a sword. 
that we may use in our fight against the evil one. The word of God, that we may flee, that he will not have us. We must resist, we must put on the whole armour of God. God will give us a way to remove ourselves from that temptation. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armour of God, that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. We read in Ephesians in chapter 6. So he resisted temptation, just as our Saviour did. Fourthly and finally, he was falsely accused, or he, he suffered slander, uh, to keep with the, uh, the S as a header. He was falsely accused. Uh, Potiphar's wife, she created some lies here, doesn't she? When she sees that he will not um, heed her, to lie with her, to be with her, she lies. She lies to the men of the house. She grabs his garment and makes it look as though um, she has been offended. She has been abused. But yet, um, she lies. She creates some false uh, accusations. She kept his garment with her in the home. And in verse 17, we read, she spoke to him with words like these, saying, The Hebrew servant whom you brought to us came in to mock me. So it happened as I lifted my voice and cried out that he left his garment with me and fled outside. And well, Potiphar was compelled to ask, wasn't he? And his anger was aroused, we read. And he cast Joseph into the prison. Perhaps there's a, an inkling here that Potiphar didn't wholly believe his wife's accusations because... Surely such a, an offence would have led to death penalty. But yet he is put into prison. Again the Lord's hand working. And as we know it was there in the prison that again the Lord would use him. He was cast into prison. And Joseph was silent before his accusers. We don't read of him um, putting up a fight as it were. He was silent before his accusers. He later acknowledged that what men had used intended for evil, God had intended for good. He believed in the sovereignty of God, that God was working his purposes out. And indeed, Jesus, our Saviour, when he suffered slander himself, he was silent before his accusers. He was like a lamb before the shearers, we read, don't we, in Isaiah? He was oppressed, he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shearers is done, so he openeth not his mouth. When the Lord Jesus was put on trial and taken there between Herod and Potiphar and put on trial in front of the chief priests, he was silent. He had done no wrong. They accused him of many sins. He had done nothing wrong. Yet he was silent. The Lord Jesus knew that he had come for a purpose. That he had come to lay down his life for his people. To be a propitiation for his people's sins. So as we come to a conclusion then. We see much in this chapter, we reminded again of the providence of God. God working his purposes out. And that's a comfort and a blessing to us. That we have the all-seeing God uh, overseeing our lives as individuals, as, as churches. We see pictures here of the Lord Jesus Christ. We see pre prefigurings on every page of our Bibles. Joseph would go on to be exalted to the second in command essentially in Egypt. Our Saviour, as we know, is now exalted. He's at the right hand of God the Father. Has arisen from the dead and arisen and has ascended into heaven. And is now interceding for us. And we, 
as believers. I know that you here in this church at Chantley Wood and we at Ebenezer, we commend this Saviour to you. We say come to him while he may be found. While there is time to reap for your soul, come now. Don't delay until it's too late, until we are cast into the unquenchable fire. If we have not yet come, he will never leave you nor forsake you. He never left his servant Joseph. He will never leave you all the days of your life. Come to him, even this evening. Trust in him. And those of us that are his already, let us rejoice in our Saviour, in a provision of a Saviour. In a provision of, for our souls, uh, that we, he who has begun a good work in us, will finish it, will complete it. We will enter into that barn and we will partake in that wedding feast uh, of the Lamb and the Church. May God bless his word to us this evening. Amen.